my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Uh, right now, as you're hearing this, I'm in Myrtle Beach on vacation with my family. I'm probably drunk on the beach, fishing for sharks right now, or just sitting in a hot tub or relaxing, not worried about politics at all. But fear not. <laughs> I recorded, I pre-recorded this episode uh, last Friday uh, with my friend Eric Schaefer host of the Lone Conservative Podcast, another show that you should definitely check out. And it was a good talk. I, I always love chatting with Eric. He's a smart guy, good guy. Uh, it was a good chat, and I think you guys really like it. They, there was really no news breaking between uh, last Wednesday and Friday when we recorded this. We kind of just went off the cuff. We talked some football. We debated who's better, Ben Roethlisberger or Drew Brees. Obviously, the correct answer is Ben Roethlisberger, and we also just talked a lot about just the conservative movement in general and, and issues that we're facing, and it, it was a good chat. I think you guys will like it. Um, so yeah, let, let me know what you think. Um, before I get to my chat with Eric, I need to say hi to our sponsors over at 1776 United. 1776 United is the best conservative apparel company anywhere in the country. They are the best. All their stuff is super creative. All their designs are super creative, uh, super patriotic. It is really great stuff. They have any kind of shirt, tank, uh, hoodie, anything. And they have hats. They have, they have all kinds of stuff for both men and women. All their stuff fits great. It's super high quality. Um, and, and you need to check them out. You guys are really going to like this company, guys. Really. I only advertise for companies that I know you guys will enjoy. Um, I'm wearing some of their stuff right now. It is fantastic. Check them out at 1776united.com. That is 1776united.com. Make sure you fill up your closet with a bunch of their gear it is is really top-notch stuff it's great and make sure you use the promo code gimmicks once again that is the promo code gimmicks and they will give you 15 percent off of your order once again that is at 1776united.com and i also want to say hi to our friends over at premier vapor if you smoke and want to quit or if you vape already you need to check out premier vapor that the largest selection of premium e-liquid anywhere in the country they all their stuff is delicious it is is just top-notch high-quality stuff uh they help me quit smoking they can help you quit smoking as well they have any kind of tank uh any kind of battery any kind of mod anything you need for your vape setup they have their staff is super knowledgeable they can point you in the right direction they have physical locations in holland and perrysburg ohio if you're in northwest ohio and if you're not check them out at premier vapor and that's premier vapor and uh they also offer free shipping on all orders over 35 bucks so definitely check them out if you haven't already please follow us on twitter at no gimmicks pod please subscribe on itunes soundcloud or google play if you're on itunes please give us a five-star rating and a good review i always appreciate that and if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved you can check us out over on patreon uh go to patreon.com slash the no gimmicks podcast or download the patreon app you can contribute monthly over there and there's really cool incentives uh, if you choose to do so. All right, without further ado, here is my chat with Eric Schaefer. All right, guys, we're here with Eric Schaefer, host of the Lone Conservative Podcast on uh, iTunes and SoundCloud and wherever else podcasts are sold. 
obviously podcasts are free, but uh, you get my drift. Eric, thanks so much for coming on, my friend. Thanks so much for having me, Brady. And you forgot Google Play, you degenerate. Google Play. Man, we have hardly any subscribers <laughs> on Google Play. I don't know about you, but I don't think people even use Google Play anymore. We have like no. 10 subscribers on Google Play. Dude, same here. It's it's <laughs> awful. I don't. I only used it to help the Samsung people, but then I remembered I was on SoundCloud, and I'm like, wait, why am I even going through the trouble? <laughs> yeah, Google Play kind of sucks. I mean, no offense to everybody that does listen on Google Play, but yeah. <laughs> but, Five people. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're recording at a special time uh, this week. I'm uh, Your boy is going on vacation to Myrtle Beach, and uh, I will be recording a podcast when I'm down there, but I wanted to pre-record one, so I have to do less work when I'm sitting my ass on a beach. Obviously, I'm sure everybody understands that. So we're recording this at uh, about 2.30 p.m. on Friday, Black Friday. Um, and uh, obviously, our last show came out on Wednesday, and nothing has happened in the world of politics in the last two days, obviously, with Thanksgiving. So uh, bear with us on this episode, everybody. We're kind of just going to talk some shit and have some fun. We don't really have any show notes or anything specific we want to talk about, but we're just going to let it rip. It's been nice, man. I mean, instead of I'm going through political withdrawals. So instead of making people mad with politics, now I'm making people mad with my football takes. Uh, and I've, I've successfully angered a lot of Patriots fans. So <laughs> it's been fun so far. Hey, anything that angers Patriots fans or Cowboys fans uh, are, is, is fine with me. I really hate those two teams. And I we do talk about the audience knows they probably hate it, but they know that I'm a huge football fan. We have the No Gimmicks podcast uh fantasy football league featuring a whole bunch of guests and listeners um to the show and and i'm actually like dominating I, i'm like 11 and 0 so far <laughs> and i actually may lose i might actually lose to the failing new york times um, i'm not allowed to say his real name on air but uh everybody knows the failing new york times twitter handle um, he's actually beating me pretty bad this week because my entire team has a bye week but uh yeah your boy so far is like 11 and 0 i'm just absolutely dominating the no gimmicks league well, I hope you keep that up, man. I'll have to get involved with that after the podcast. You'll have to tell me the league name <laughs> oh, yeah. or the next, league info. Next year, you got to get in on it, man. You got to get in on it next All year. All right. Yeah, I, dude, I just created a six-man league because I didn't know if anybody would be interested. And then I had like 20 people, <laughs> like 20 or 30 people, <laughs> listeners and guests uh, and pundits uh, that wanted in. So ne- next year, we'll do like uh, a massive fantasy league and it'll be awesome but anyway so let's talk some football before we get to politics uh your outrageous take that you've been promulgating on on twitter that drew Brees is the greatest quarterback of all time uh i mean state your case i will defend drew Brees to my dying breath number one i mean regardless what you think of him in terms of whether he's the greatest of all time or not this man is one of the most underrated quarterbacks of all time for certain he has the most passing yards in NFL history. He has the best completion rate in NFL history. I believe it's 67.1%. He's the only quarterback to ever have a ratio of 26 touchdowns to one interception. He's catching up to Peyton Manning on the career touchdowns list. And if he plays another season next year, which I have the feeling he will, he's definitely, I mean, he's assuredly going to beat it. He's one of the most consistent quarterbacks in terms of points and yardage every single season. He doesn't get credit for it. And I'm not saying he's the best in this field, but he doesn't get credit for it. But the man is a comeback king. He's clutch. I don't, I don't know how people don't at least, the very least put him in the running. Uh, um, and on top of all of that, with every single game he plays, because he's, he's already surpassed now Tom Brady in terms of career touchdowns. With every single game they both play, he has grown farther and farther apart from Brady. So the reason he doesn't have five rings, the reason he only has one ring, is I hate when people, because I 
that's the only thing Tom Brady has on him is he has five rings. I hate when people use that argument for making Brady the best of all time because dis- despite Brady being like an integral part and despite the quarterback position being an integral part to winning a Super Bowl, that is a team effort. If the pre- Patriots defense sucked butt, you're not going to have the Patriots. Patriots winning five Super Bowls. And on top of the Patriots defense almost always being at least average in Brady's era, he's had an amazing management core for almost his entire career. Breeze hasn't had that at the Saints. Breeze hasn't had an amazing defense. I think it was like from 2007 to 2017, something like that. Some I haven't done a ton of prep with that the specific year range, but something like that huge range, the saints had like either the last defense or the second to last defense in the league. So you're obviously that, that team, regardless of how amazing breeze is, isn't going to be making it to the super bowl. So I, I think he's vastly underrated. Like Terry Bradshaw, who I think you could put in the top 10 or even top 15 quarterbacks of all time. He's nowhere near number one. One of the reasons he's nowhere near number one is because yes, he was an amazing quarterback, but he had the steel curtain. He had an amazing coaching staff. He had an amazing team around him, just like Brady does. And that guy, I think Bradshaw won four Super Bowls. And Bradshaw's never talked about, he's never in the discussion. And the reason for that is, you know, Bradshaw was extremely hyped in his time. But now as the years have gone on, we see that he had an amazing team around him. So I think as the years go on and we see that the amazing team Brady always had around him and the the amazing team that, or the amazing, amazing management core that Brady always had around him, people are going to start paying more attention to, to Drew Brees as one of the best of all time or Peyton Manning as the best of all time. I don't know. I, I don't think he gets enough credit. Well, he he doesn't get enough credit, but I mean, I like Drew Brees. I like the, I'm 5'11 and Drew Brees is 5'11. So like, I've always kind of rooted for him for that reason. <laughs> Same reason I was like a big John Stockton fan growing up, you know, cause he's like six feet tall and you know, I was a little kid playing basketball. So I'm like, yeah, I'm rooting for the little guy. But uh, I don't know, man. Drew Brees, Drew Brees isn't even Look, you can't even make the argument that he's the best quarterback playing right now. I mean, Tom Brady, as much as I hate Tom Brady, and I really hate Tom Brady, and I hate the Patriots, but he's by far the best quarterback of this generation. Aaron Rodgers is better than Drew Brees, and I would take my boy, Big Ben Roethlisberger, over Drew Brees, too. I mean, Big Ben does have three Super Bowl appearances, two Super Bowl rings, uh, hopefully another one this year, uh, by the way. (laughs) Um, I, I, my preseason pick was Steelers coming out of the AFC and I'm sticking, I'm sticking with it, but I I would take big Ben over Drew Brees just because he's so clutch in the fourth quarter. And, uh, just as, I mean, he doesn't miss the playoffs, dude, before last year, I think Drew Brees had missed the playoffs like four straight years. Like he had like two or three straight six and 10 seasons. And if you're the goat, you're not missing the playoffs. Well, I know, but you can't over again. You can't overcome a mediocre offensive line, a terrible deep. Like I said, last ranked or second to last ranked defense. If the Saints had had a better defense throughout a lot of these years, like not even the best defense, an average defense throughout a lot of these years, they would have. I, I can guarantee you, they would have had more playoff appearances. And I, I'd venture honestly to say one to two more Lombardi trophies. On top of all of that, in terms of even in those years when he's getting six and ten, even in those years where he's not doing good, he is one of the highest performing quarterbacks in the NFL, if not the highest performing quarterback in the regular season. And like Aaron Rodgers, I said this on Twitter yesterday too, Aaron Rodgers, there's a lot of debate, but in terms of like just raw talent, like unfettered, raw, pure talent, Aaron Rodgers is the best. Like there's no question Aaron Rodgers is the best of all time. Like that man, how he throws off his back foot. Or Dan Marino. Yeah, but how he throws off his back foot 
or goes throws across his body or throws on the run. Like it's like the man got set in the most comfortable position possible and then he launches it downfield. It's it's amazing. I don't know how he throws how he does. He's got a cannon arm. But if you're going to talk about talent combined with consistency, combined just looking at pure statistics, Breeze is better. I mean, Breeze is in terms of pure statistics, Breeze is better than Brady. In terms of pure statistics, he's better than Big Ben. Statistics, though, in this day and age, don't mean all that much, man. Like it's a it's a quarterback's league. Obviously, the rule changes in the last decade have all been to benefit the quarterback. Like, there's lots of quarterbacks that put up big numbers. Blake Bortles threw like 40 touchdowns a couple years ago. Like, you know, and he sucks. He's absolutely terrible. Like Colin. Oh no, he's awful. Colin Kaepernick, who's was a, a. slightly above average quarterback led a team to the Super Bowl. Like quarterbacks can put up crazy ass. Matthew Stafford threw over 40 touchdowns a couple years ago. Tim like Tebow it, led him to the playoffs. Oof. You know what I mean? Tim and he's, he's a terrible yeah. quarterback. But the, the thing is here is consistency. And that's what sets Brady and Manning and Breeze apart from the one hit wonders, the one season wonders, Tebow, Bortles and all of them. And also, you know, one of the reasons that I don't know how I actually don't know how the Broncos did so good with Tebow. Because I get it's I get statistics don't mean as much, but if you look at his numbers, like his completion rating, like it was it was piss poor. He was it getting was, picked was off terrible. all the time. His completion rating was piss poor. The Broncos defense is, is, is honestly kind of what carried them, along with Tebow. Just would I don't know how he did it, but it would he, Tebow was ultimately clutch in that season because it would be the well, very very I, last play. I know you're a, I know you're a Steelers time. I know you're a Steelers fan too, and you remember what happened in the playoffs. That was. Yes, that was a terrible, he pulled that was, it out of his ass. That was terrible. <laughs> I think the I think the Steelers were like looking towards the next game. I think they just pulled a drive by. They left the car running outside of the stadium because they yeah. just did not show up. No, that that's game. what happened last year against the uh, hold on. So real Jaguars quick, too. Real quick, I want to make my case for Big Ben being better than Drew Brees because Big Ben obviously went to three Super Bowls, won two of them. Drew Brees has been to one and won one. Um, but Perfect like record man, you, you were talking, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I think Joe Montana ultimately is the greatest quarterback of all time. He's four for four with four Super Bowl MVPs. So that's uh, that's tough to argue, I think. But anyway, Big Ben, <clears throat> like he's got all these weapons now. He's got A.B., James Conner, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, the, you know, a great offensive line. But when he won those Super Bowls, he did not have a good offensive line. He was getting his ass kicked in there anytime he held the ball for more than a second. And he had, you know, 55-year-old Jerome Bettis who could barely walk. And uh, Heinz Ward, who, you know, runs a 4-9 as his number one receiver. And, like, Heinz was a great player, don't get me wrong. But, like, he wasn't, like, you know, A.B. or Julio Jones or Mike Thomas or somebody like that. Like, he didn't have all these weapons. And it's not like he had this crazy explosive offense. He just made it happen. So it's not like, I know you're saying, oh, well, the Saints have had bad teams or bad defenses, stuff like that. Like, I get that. But if Drew, if Drew Brees was that guy, you know, he would have done more like when he had a great team when they won the Super Bowl they had you know Reggie Bush and his prime and and Jimmy Graham and all those weapons like you know Aaron Rodgers consistently has a terrible terrible team every year it's just him it's him and a bunch of like I feel white, so bad for Aaron white Rodgers, ride receivers that can't run no defense you know what I mean and obviously this year like they're all injured and stuff they're probably not going to make the playoffs but usually they're in the playoffs every year and like I don't know, I, there's definitely I, I like Drew Brees. You know, I'm I'm being a little hard on him, but uh, I don't think he's in the running for like greatest of all time or something like that. I get the statistics, but it's just a stat heavy 
league right now. I mean, like, guys are putting up, like, average players are putting up ridiculous stats right now because nobody's playing any defense, and they let the quarterbacks do whatever they want. Oh, yeah, no, and everything's a shootout. But the, the thing is, I know it's been evolving over the years, but he's been playing for, since, like, 2002. And by the way, I know this is anecdotal. It's just something I like to point out. In his very first game against the Patriots in 2002, unless I'm remembering it correctly, he, I know they won, but I, I think, I believe Brees trounced them. It was basically the first show, showdown between Brees and Brady. Um, but I, I get that it's a stat-heavy league and that average players are putting up better stats than usual because of the— It's not just that no one's playing defense. It's the restrictions the NFL has put on defense that are, in my eyes, unreasonable. But considering Brees has played, been playing since the early 2000s, he's all— Again, he's always been consistent. In his rookie years, he wasn't as good because he, he was a rookie. You know, that's always to be expected. In Brady's rookie years, he wasn't as good either. But as he's developed, especially as it's gotten to those mid-2000s before the rules really became overcumbersome, he was still one of the best QBs with, with the highest averages every year or some of the highest averages in terms of, in terms of yards and touchdowns. So my whole point here is, and that's what I was actually going to say earlier, one of the things that was really impressive about Ben Roethlisberger is he takes a hit, I think, better than arguably better than any QB in the NFL. Yeah. He maybe, takes, maybe other than Cam Newton. Oh yeah. Just cause Cam Newton's a monster. Like six, seven two sixty or something. No. Yeah. Cam Newton scares linebackers. So yeah, yeah, there's no, there's uh, Cam Newton is probably the scare. One of the scariest quarterbacks to have ever played. Like you see him running out of the pocket, but I don't, I, I don't, I think Ben's more clutch than breeze. Like I'll give him that factor. But if you just look at overall career consistency before the rules became a, over cumbersome before everything started going to crap in the league. He's always been one of the best. I think at the very least, if you're going to talk about Drew Brees, he's in the running for top five QBs. I mean, there's, I, I really, I think that he, his name deserves to be there. And I can guarantee you that if Drew Brees had someone like Belichick, because you saw it when Brady was, was injured and they had Garoppolo. Granted, Garoppolo is an amazing QB. But when the Patriots, Brady was injured, Patriots had Garoppolo instead. Patriots still performed just fine. I Sean think, Payton's uh, my a good coach, is, though. Sean Payton's a good coach. Yeah, but if, if Drew Brees consistently had someone like Belichick or uh, across his career or had an amazing management core that was able to successfully build up a defense across his career, again, an average defense, I think Brees would have definitely had a lot more success in the postseason. And I, I'm pretty sure the Brees is, I mean, if anyone in the NFC is going to win it, like say the Steelers get knocked out of the playoffs by the Chiefs or the Patriots, which God forbid, but it may happen. God, don't even I'm, speak those words. I'm <laughs> God forbid I'm rooting for breeze. Like I'm, I want the man to have another Super Bowl. Like I want Aaron Rodgers to have another Super Bowl. The Packers, like I know Aaron Rodgers has also been consistent in the postseason, but they really haven't been that amazing in the postseason for over the past years. I feel bad for Rodgers. Again, it's the thing that makes up a football team aside from a quarterback, aside from good wide receivers, aside from, you know, an amazing defense is you need to have a good management core who knows to not just focus on the star player, but to build around that star player or a good team. And the Green Bay Packers haven't done that. And the Saints haven't really been able to do that. The difference, the Steelers, aside from that one year where Ben really didn't have a good offensive line, the Steelers have always been able to kind of do that. The Patriots certainly have always been able to do that. So I don't know. I think, I, I, I definitely think if you just with, look with at coaching, the coaching, with, with coaching, like Sean Payton's a good coach. Mike Tomlin for the Steelers is a really good coach too. But like Bill Belichick's probably the greatest coach of all time. No, like, I know. I, maybe, I was, maybe, my dad and I were talking about this earlier. I think and the I only hate the guy. Rival, well, I hate yeah. the guy. <laughs> but like maybe like maybe across all sports, like he's like he could be the greatest coach 
in American sports history when it's all said and done. Like, and I mean that. But so, I mean, if you put Drew Brees or Ben Roethlisberger with a Bill Belichick, like they're they probably have a better career than Tom Brady because they're both more talented than Tom Brady. Like, you know, Tom Brady. No, exactly. He doesn't have like a cannon arm like Brees or Ben, you know. But at the end of the day, with you know, if you're down a touchdown in the fourth quarter, and you say, you know, who do you want your quarterback to be? I would pick Ben over Brees. But like, I don't know. You can't go wrong with Drew Brees. Depends. I, I mean, and also Depends with Drew Brees, like if anybody hasn't seen the injury that almost ended Drew Brees's career, like, that was horrific. Like, yeah, yeah. If, he's if a fighter. That's one of the other reasons I like him so much. Like that was a terrible injury, man. Like that would have, and he had what, like a ten percent chance of ever playing again, like being able to throw a football again, and he comes back and he's now yeah. going to be in the Hall of Fame. So, you know, all, all the credit. But you know, I, I picked like I always do preseason picks of, like, who's going to make the Super Bowl. And, and, like, I'm always, like, way off. Like, I, I pick the Steelers every year from the AFC, obviously. I'm a little biased there. But <laughs> I, I pick the Rams to come out of the N- NFC, and I look pretty smart so far because they're actually really good, and I thought they were going to be good. The year before, I picked the Steelers and – who did I pick? I was so wrong. Uh, the Giants. <laughs> I thought the Giants <laughs> were going to be really good, and they won, like, two games all year, something like oh, that. Oh, man. But, but I would love to see a Steelers-Saints Super Bowl. Oh, that, that would be, be amazing. That I think that would be a, a fucking shootout, man. So, I don't know. I hope that Oh, happens. yes. That's the thing. I'd, I'd ultimately root for the Steelers because I love my Steelers, but I'd still, like, inevitably if we won, I'd feel terrible. Because I, I still, I like I said, I want Breeze to have one more before he retires. I mean, he's 39. He's getting up there. I, I feel I feel so bad taking it away from him. So, I, but I, the other thing is I want Ben to have one more because, you know, Ben, I don't know how many years he has left in him. He's he's saying now. I heard maybe I'm maybe this is old news, but I read that he says that he he has something like three four years left in him. But I doubt it. I doubt I, it, man. I've heard that that's that is what he's thinking. But oh, I don't know. <laughs> he has. He, we'll see. He's taken a lot more punishment than Drew Brees in his career, though. That's the thing. That's of all exactly those years, why I'm like one. He's just more mobile. Like Drew Brees isn't going anywhere. He's not going outside the pocket. You know, he's a statue back there. But yeah, and Ben, you know, moves around a lot, takes hits, and you know, he's only had a good offensive line in the last couple years. Like most of his career, he really hasn't. But uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Let's go. Yeah. Well, I mean, right, so, one, last right. too, right, yeah, one last thing too. One last thing too. I wanted. And to then we got to move on because I get so much shit from the audience anytime I go off on these tangents. So. All right. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I get shit from mine too. Um, but the one thing, the one last thing, if we're speaking about weapons, is I'm, I may have the number off by one. It's either twelve or thirteen, or it's either thirteen or twelve or whatever. But this year, so in Matt Ryan's MVP season, I think he holds the record for he got thirteen touchdowns with thirteen separate receivers. Right. You know, that proves that it's an it's obviously an ambidextrous QB, like someone who can deal the football to anyone and get a touchdown. Breeze is tied with Matthew uh, Matt Ryan for that record right now. He needs uh, they they still have Brandon Marshall, too. So they're going to get Brandon Marshall a touchdown this year. So Breeze break, breaks that record. So then at that point, I think it would be he has 14 separate receivers for four. 14 separate touchdowns, which just shows it's, it, it is beyond just Breeze having the right weapons to Breeze being an accurate and amazing passer who can who can at least make something out of nothing on offense. You know, nothing speaking for the defensive side of the ball. I will say I did watch the uh, Saints-Falcons game last night, and he threw touchdowns to guys I had never heard of. <laughs> yeah, all these like that, un- it's... undrafted wideouts. I've been like, I, I just no recollection of these guys at all. I had no idea who they were. Like and I had Mike Thomas, 
on my fantasy team and uh he didn't do shit so that that was <laughs> that was very that was very disappointing i had tevin coleman from the uh the falcons and mike thomas from the saints and neither one of them did a damn thing so that was very disappointing so all right let's do some punditry before we drive the audience absolutely insane um, yes <laughs> but dude it's thanksgiving week man thanksgiving is about football and stuff not politics so hey exactly i mean come on guys cut us some slack <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> So I just want to talk about like just an ad abstract idea that I've been putting a lot of thought into this lately. And uh, I have a lot of friends and, and, and a lot of people I'm sure you're friends with as well on, on Twitter, just across the political conservative political media world that we exist in um, because we're insane <laughs> masochists, apparently. But so a lot of uh, our friends uh, in conservative media have been really going hard against the GOP lately, saying, you know, we're so tired of the GOP being squishy, being way too moderate. You know, they lie about being conservatives. They all really got behind um, Jim Jordan because he, he ran for a, a House minority leader and lost badly. I think he got 40 or 45 votes, which is actually more than I thought he would get. But, you know, I had a lot of friends making phone calls to different congressmen trying to lobby them to, to vote for for Congressman Jordan and, and, and all that. And I, I just think... I don't know. I, I don't think that complaining about the state of the GOP is helping anybody. Like, the GOP is not a conservative party. If you look at, I mean, we like, guys like you and I are balls deep in the conservative movement. And because we're in that conservative world, we exist in this world, we forget that the percentage of the American electorate that are actual true conservatives is, what, 10%, 12%, something like that? And... Yeah. Like, we forget that, like, the GOP is not—they're a center-right party, the same way the Democrats are a center-left party. And I, I, actually, the, the fringe left, like the hard left, the socialist left, is actually doing a much better job of reshaping the Democratic Party than we conservatives are at reshaping the Republican Party. But I, I, what, what do we do about that? Do you think this just kind of outrage, constantly being pissed that— these GOP politicians are not conservative. Like, is this beneficial? Is this helpful? Because I think we're kind of, I think we're having the wrong conversation. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, no, it's not helpful. And I, I will say this really quick before I, I really get into it, because we've talked about this a little bit before. But the reason why it's so much easy, it, it's so much easier for the left to shift the Democratic Party further left, and, and it's the reason why conservatives haven't seen as much success in shifting the GOP right. I mean, they've seen no success, let's be honest here. Right. They've seen no success in, in, in shifting the GOP rightward is because, in, in my personal opinion, philosophically, humans naturally lean more to the left. Humans naturally want to be taken care of more. Humans naturally want to take less responsibility. Humans naturally want to be told to some extent what to think. Like even a lot of the people out there who say they're free thinkers, and by the way, I'm not saying that they're there's not a lot of people out there. People shouldn't have the right to think what they want to think. They should. I, I'm not saying there aren't a lot of people out there who do think, you know, how they think or they think originally they do. But a lot of people out there who say they like to think originally just parrot what they've heard from party leaders or from their professors in college or from their parents. There's no originality in thought despite the fact that they like to think there is. So humans nat lean naturally more to the left and the course of government in human history is more leftward. That's why it's so much easier to shift the Democratic Party to a more socialist perspective right, right. And, and than it is to, for the GOP to shift and, to a conservative perspective. Yeah, and Eric, I want you to continue with that thought. I just want to jump in with one thing just to prove your point. I, I forget. I, I'm going to butcher it, so I'm just paraphrasing. But that George W. Bush quote that he said, you know, it's in the heart of every man 
to be free or something, talking about, you know, liberating Iraq or, or whatever country we were heading into at the time. And it's like, no, that's not true. Like, people don't want to be free. A lot, Some people do. A lot of people don't. A lot of people, like you said, just want to be taken care of. You know, they want, you know, safety. They want whatever. They don't want freedom, you know. And that's they, people need to be taught to crave freedom and liberty. You know, it's not in the hearts of every man, the way George Bush said. Yeah, I, I think I would disagree slightly. I would think that people like to think they would be free. They they want to be free. But at the end of the day, when people actually experience freedom, they don't like it. Right. It is is because it's it's kind of like with a lot of college kids. They like to think that they'll, they'll be totally financially independent from their parents. They like to think that they'll be out of the house. They'll be on the, all on their own and they can handle it just fine. And then life kicks them in the nuts and they go back to mom and dad. Like that that's that's what happens a lot of times. And I think that's the same exact thing with human nature. What happens is if you have a government that is, I'll say benevolent because there's no better word for it. If you have a benevolent but restrictive government, people are just fine with being ruled. It's when you get an overly harsh, over not just tyrannical, an overly harsh, overly cruel government. That's when people yearn for freedom because they'd rather, you know, at least in that very specific generation, they'd rather take responsibility for themselves than have the Gestapo burst into their house and shoot their children. You know, so there's there's cases where people do specifically yearn for freedom more, but in most cases, I think it's people like to think they want to be free. But at the end of the day, when you get freedom, you use that freedom freedom to push the government toward more government oversight. Um, but the issue is, and Mark Pellegrino said this. Mark Pellegrino is um, he plays Satan on Supernatural, so really stand up guy. <laughs> 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 but no, he actually is an awesome dude. Um, and we talk about philosophy all the time. And Mark brings up the amazing point that deep down, now th- this isn't saying about anything in with the conservatives in the GOP. But if you just look at the broader GOP and the broader Democratic Party, the, there is no really deep philosophical divide on what we should spend money on, you know, how we should be spending money, um, how big or how what should government be involved in. The only difference is to what extent should we spend this money? Like, are we going to spend one trillion or two trillion dollars on Medicaid, Medicare or Medicaid? Or should government be this pervasive or this pervasive in private industry? And not just private industry, because I will give the GOP credit that they are more f- for free regulation or, or no regulations, lighter regulations. But it's it's it should be government be more pervasive in this area of life or should they maybe a, a little less pervasive in this area of life? That would be the GOP. There really isn't a broad standing difference between the left and the right when it comes to specific po- party politics. The difference is to what extent. That's why when you talk about t- t- the GOP loves to say, you know, they love to cut taxes. But the reason is why they cut ta- taxes and don't stop spending on social programs is because, because, because people want to keep their money, but they don't want to spend that money on the social programs that they so crave. And then when you talk about trying to cut money, to those social programs, people freak out. And then when you tell them that, you know, well, in order to keep this level of spending up, we're going to have to raise taxes, they doubly freak out. So, I mean, there's there's no really with how human nature is, there is no winning being a conservative in politics as of right now. The conservative movement has to do a better job at educating the public and moving the public to a a more conservative headspace. Because what the, and you said this before we started filming, and I, I totally agree with you. Is it's it's not despite how much I, I love him, you know I love Ted Cruz. It is not Ted Cruz's responsibility to turn the American public to conservatism, not just the right, to conservatism. He may he may have some hand in doing it. He may try to do it, 
but it's not his job. It's not Jim Jordan's job. It's not Kevin McCarthy's job. It's pundits' job. It's it's commentators' jobs. And the yeah. commentators and pundits and thought leaders haven't been doing as good a job as we like to admit. Right. You you hit the nail on the head, and it's it's your job, and it's my job. You know what I mean? And it's Ben Shapiro's job and Glenn Beck's job. And and back in the in the 60s and the, the original conservative movement, it was William F. Buckley's job. You know, and that that's the—you're right. The, the Americans— you know, the, the Republican base, not even just the entire American electorate, but the Republicans chose Donald Trump, a populist. You know, Donald Trump is not a conservative and he's governing pretty conservative. You know, his, his governance has been much more conservative than I thought it was going to be. Um, so I guess it worked out. But, you know, he was a populist. He was running as a populist. And the Republicans had Rand Paul and Ted Cruz, two just surefire, hardcore conservatives running for yep. president. If, if the Republican electorate wanted a conservative, they would have nominated Rand Paul or they would have nominated Ted Cruz. They didn't. They nominated the populace because they wanted the populace. It, like the people did speak. And so when people now, friends of ours, other pundits in the conservative movement are bitching about how squishy Republican politicians are, the Republican electorate chose them. And that's what they, they rejected the conservatives. They they truly did. They they rejected the libertarians and they they elected these center right you know moderates and populists and it, that's on us man. That's on you and I and people like us in this space in this conservative media space to educate the people and to convince them that hey you really want conservatives next time, you know like and that's it, it's tough man. But it's it's you're right. It's not Kevin McCarthy's fault. You know, it's not, you know, Jim Jordan could have relayed his message better to to the American people, I suppose. You know, the people in this the House Republican caucus, if they thought that Jim Jordan reflected the the values of their constituents, they would have nominated him as uh, House Minority Leader. But they know that the majority of Republican voters are way closer to Kevin McCarthy than Jim Jordan. And that's just and I hate that. We need you and I need to do something about that. Yeah, because, like we no, need exactly. to educate. We need to educate the voters. It's not Kevin McCarthy's fault. Like Kevin McCarthy's never claimed to be Mister Conservative. Like he's not a, a Tea Party guy. Like he's not like a, a a super small government libertarian conservative, and he never claimed to be. He's just there doing his job. He's doing what the people in his district elected him to do. We need to change the minds of the people in his district and say, hey. You you guys need to advocate for conservative policy. Like we need to convince them that conservatism is the way to go, and that's our failure. It's not the Republican politicians' failure. It's our failure, and we need to take responsibility for that and do a better job. Not bitch about the our current elected officials. I just think that a a lot of people in our movement on our side are just kind of barking up the wrong tree right now. No, and I totally agree. And the only area where I would kind of disagree is even if. Congress thought, or the, the House Republicans thought, that Jim Jordan was a, rep- a representative of their constituents, of what their constituents believed. I, I think he would have gotten certainly more votes, but he doesn't win because I, I, a lot of people don't understand that the House Freedom Caucus, which is Jim Jordan is, is essentially the de facto head of, is vastly despised in the House. It is very – they're seen as spoilers. Now, you can you can debate, and we we can debate all we all we want about whether that's true, whether the House Freedom Caucus is doing what's right. Personally, I'm a big fan of the House Freedom Caucus, so but among I. the among the establishment people, 
they are seen as spoilers. They are seen as people who are just way too conservative for their own good. They're seen as people who are way too, too ideological for politics. And Jim Jordan, being the face of that, that is not going to win any sort of, of special house election with representatives who, who are sick of the House Freedom Caucus. It's just not going to – especially since the, the Tea Party, which spawned the House Freedom Caucus, was all about voting out moderates, which a lot of these establishment people are. You know what I mean? So Jim Jordan's not going to be getting anything. I love Jim Jordan. I think he's an amazing representative, and I think he's amazing an, an amazing conduit for political conservatism. But at the same time, uh, unless he really – starts making some waves and really starts making some connections, he's never going to be Speaker of the House. He's never going to be Minority Leader of the House. He's never going to be any of those things. Um, but, you know, kind of really quick, have you ever heard of dead dogma? Like the kind of the, the dead dog, it's it's kind of like a theory presented by John Mills. Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. So dead dogma is essentially the belief that, and it's, it's hard for me to summarize because I've recent, recently means like over the past two months, just started really getting into mills but essentially dead dogma is say that you're taught from birth that fr free speech is a virtue free speech is a value that we should hold dear in this country but it's never really explained to you why you're just taught that free speech is a virtue right and then eventually one day someone comes up to you and disagrees with you on free speech and they can name x y and z why free speech is not a virtue why it isn't an absolute right why free speech shouldn't itself be protected or considered right well, just you've only been told throughout your entire life that free speech is a virtue. You've basically been told nothing else. So you're not really going to be able to defend against that position. That's 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 dead dogma. And I feel right. like the conservative movement has really fallen into that trap is we've said to our children, we've been told by our, our thought leaders, free markets are good. And I, I think free markets are good, but we've been told free markets are good. Free markets are the only way. Free trade is the only way. But we don't get much. And, and, free, and the only explanation we get past that is that it is the best economic incentive or not even the best economic incentive. It is the, the best way to achieve economic prosperity. That, that's all we were really told, the basics, and most people who agree with free trade. That's really, uh, except for the experts, that's really, really all they know. That's the only talking point they know. But when someone who's a protectionist, when someone who's Bernie Sanders, a Bernie Sanders populist or a Trump populist comes up to you and starts challenging you on free trade, starts challenging you on free markets, and all you've been told is they're good because they provide provide economic prosperity. And then these people are saying, well, look, we've lost so-and-so millions of jobs to China. We've lost so-and-so millions of jobs to Mexico. You don't know how to respond to that. Free trade is becoming a dead dogma. Conservative values are becoming a dead dogma within the conservative movement because we aren't teaching people how to properly defend those values. We're only telling them that they should be values that people hold. And then when other people challenge them or they heal, hear other people challenge those ideals and they're making – good points and you don't have any mental way to rebut that, people are going to start to abandon conservative principles. So beyond the fact that people don't naturally lean to the right, they don't naturally lean, lean toward freedom. We all, the people who do naturally lean toward the right, the people that we do have on our, on our side as conservatives are becoming woefully uninformed. You know, you can have, I love Ben Shapiro and I love a lot of the commentators that we have on the right. And I think Ben Shapiro is one of the people who really does explain things the best, but even Ben Shapiro isn't, isn't, you know, the best at going off on free trade, you know, the best at, at, at educating people on why free trade is the best. You need to do some of your own research. And I don't see that being done in the conservative movement. I feel that we are getting back to that point because now that we have a foothold in the culture again, 
The left allowed them – I call it intellectual mushification. The left allowed themselves to intellectually mushify because they held the culture for so many decades. They held the popular positions for so many decades that they allowed themselves to fall into that trap of dead dogma. They, they allowed themselves to think – yeah, exactly. That's, that's all it is. And that's the reason why the right was able to take over is, is we weren't – we had to be intellectually rigorous. And we had to challenge the left's ideas, and we had to deal with that every single day. And that allowed us to be fortified in our beliefs. But now what's happened is now that we have a foothold in the culture, again, a lot of people don't like to admit that we do, but we do. Maybe not in Hollywood, but in the mainstream culture, we do have a foothold again. Now that we have that, you see a lot of people rising. I don't know how you think what you think of them, but you see a lot of people like Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens rising who espouse that free markets are the only answer, who espouse that, that you know conservatism is the best way. And they don't really fundamentally explain why conservatism is best, why freedom is best, well, why they don't, free markets People are like best. that, people like Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens don't do that because they don't know. I mean, they, I don't, exactly. I that's don't the, think that's that's the conservatives they, they in the don't first know. place. They, 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 can't, they can't explain their own ideas. If you look at their Twitter feeds, it's basically just a random Republican bumper sticker exactly. generator. Exactly. And it, that exactly. is that is very dangerous, and we don't have to slam them too hard. I, I've done several episodes dedicated to slamming them, um, but oh, that, that is episodes. that Dang is, <laughs> <laughs> but that is dangerous too. Like when when people within the conservative movement will elevate people to the status of of thought leader that should not be there. Yes, that like, was my like point. a Charlie Kirk or a Candace Owens. That is extremely dangerous because these people, they they have not read Thomas Sowell. Like they've never read Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell. They, they've never read Payne. They've never read Murray Rothbard, or they've never read Barry Goldwater or, or anybody. They they just, I don't know. They they're not conservative. They're just anti-left. Which, exactly. Like, which I get. They're I, I'm sure, especially on college campuses. I guess there probably is some utility in that mindset. Like, hey guys, like you don't have to vote Democrat just because you're black, or you don't have to vote Democrat just because you're a college kid. Like, yes, I get that, and I'm sure like. Maybe they have changed a lot of hearts and minds just by stating those basic facts. I, I suppose I'm just I'm giving them as much benefit of the doubt as I possibly can. By the way, because no, I can't I... stand either one of them. But I'm trying to be fair and give them the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, I, I think people like that are dangerous. And if you look at the the Tea Party movement, which we you know we won the House in a landslide, picked up what 63, 64 seats, something like that. Yeah, we, we you have to remember also. For every Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows and Ted Cruz and Rand Paul that was elected in the Tea Party wave, there was also a Michelle Bachman, right? Like, we elected a lot of idiots that had no idea what they were talking about, that had no idea how to do the job when they got to D.C. So, like, that sword does cut both ways, man. Like, no, when there's, when exactly. there's just, like, a wave movement, like, a lot of bad people get swept up in it. And then I... I my biggest fear is that we have more Roy Moore situations, you know, with, with, with a lot of friends of mine that are they're real big on let's primary all the squishy Republicans. Let's primary all the moderates. Let's get conservatives in there. So they they primaried Luther Strange, who is a perfectly fine, pretty damn conservative senator that was appointed by the governor of of Alabama. He would have been a perfectly he would have voted the conservative platform 99% of the time but that wasn't good enough so <laughs> Alabama voters nominate a child molester <laughs> you know what I mean because they don't like the quote unquote yeah. establishment guy nope he's it's... buddies with Mitch McConnell so we don't like him because Mitch McConnell's the problem really Bernie Sanders is a socialist 
Bernie Sanders is a fucking socialist. He's the problem, not Mitch McConnell. You should have no, stuck, Mitch- stuck with Luther Strange. We would have a, a you know a 54-46 majority instead of a 53-47 if you guys wouldn't have fucked it up by just hating Mitch McConnell more than you hate communism. You know what I mean? Like that that is my yeah. biggest fear that a lot of these people they're so angry at the quote unquote establishment, the squishy Republicans, that they're they're going to continue making these mistakes, these own goals, these these you know. Uh, I, I, that is my biggest fear right now, that people in the conservative movement are going to head down that road, and I really hope it doesn't happen. And quite honestly, I'm a pretty mellow guy when it comes to politics. Oh, yes. But one of the things – I'm not oh, going to yes. say angers so me. So am I. Can't you tell? <laughs> one of the things – I'm not going to say it angers me, but it aggravates me, is when people go after Mitch McConnell as hard as they do. By the way, when I was just starting, like just starting in politics like four years ago, I – I went after Mitch McConnell a lot too, like personally, like in, in private conversations. But I like him now. And I'm not going to say he's the most conservative person. He's a pretty establishment guy. But I'm sorry, without Mitch McConnell, you do not get the textualist resurgence you get, you have in the judicial branch right now. Right. He has made it his goal to reform the judicial branch. He has made it his goal to make it what it was, what it should constitutionally be, what it was formerly envisioned to be. Mitch McConnell is a Okay, (laughs) cocaine Mitch was essential for our victories in the judicial branch. He was essential for the Republicans. Believe it or not, he was essential for the Republicans growing a backbone when it came to Kavanaugh. So I I don't I really don't like when you can you can go after him on his voting patterns, which I'm not as educated on all you want. But the man has been essential for some key political wins and people don't give him any credit. And the the thing that I was going to say really quick was I wasn't going to go after Candace or Charlie too hard. I do that all the time. Well, My cats, only cats reason out of for the citing bag. them. Cats out of the bag at this point. So just, oh, yeah, no, no. Just, I, everyone, just go who go, everyone who knows me on Twitter knows that I bash them all, all the time. But I wasn't going to focus on them too much. It was the only reason I bring them up. And there's more than just them. Is that it, it's an example of dead dogma spreading on the right. It's an example of int- the intellectual mushification on the right. When these people start becoming your thought leaders. That is a dangerous sign. That is a scary sign. And by scary, I don't mean like, oh, suppress their speech oh they're they're causing violence i mean scary for the intellectual future of the conservative movement a lot of people don't like to admit that because they like to see the youths doing (laughs) doing so well they like to see the youths start to take over in politics but i'm sorry they're smarter youth than them and they're they're, it's it's not wise what's happening in the right wing right now isn't wise and the, the the arrogance and not just the arrogance but the the thought process of among among a lot of conservatives that they are the mainstream thought within the GOP is just ridiculous. The GOP, I've said this for a while now in private. I'll say it in public. I hope it doesn't get me in trouble. The GOP is not a conservative party. They are a traditionalist party. They are traditionalist in terms of because traditionalists don't really. I mean, socially, they're more traditional right. socially, right. and of course that has some crossover crossover with conservatives like me, like being anti-abortion. But when it comes to government, they align with the left much more closely than anyone cares to admit. They are a traditional party. They are not a conservative party. And it's honestly time to kind of start to realize that. Right. And But they never claim to be a conservative party. And there's been huge e- ebbs and flows in the GOP. Like, I, I don't get the outrage when Republican elected officials don't act like William F. Buckley. Okay. Because they never claimed to be. Like, they never claimed to be. It's a center-right party. 
we conservatives vote Republican, by and large, it's almost like a parliamentary mindset, right? It's like almost like a coalition government kind of thing. Like, okay, like we'll we'll make a deal and vote for these Republicans because they're closer to our values, although they don't necessarily represent all of our values. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, you know. And it, I I know it's it is very frustrating. I all the hot takes coming out of both sides are infuriating. I, one one point I really want to bring up. Going back to the the whole what I, what I mentioned earlier about how like Republicans had the choice to nominate Ted Cruz and Rand Paul and they went with Trump, like it it, it does remind me of like the 1952, 1956, and 1960 elections, and you know Dwight Eisenhower is the closest thing we've ever had in this country to a centrist, like he was like I don't know if he had a political philosophy. He ran on hey I'm a war hero, I won World War II, and I'm a moderate. Like, that was his sales pitch. And he won in a landslide twice. And Barry Goldwater, like one of the founders of American conservatism, who was the GOP nominee in 1960, got blown out. He got blown out of the water. It wasn't close. So, yep. like, it, that's on Goldwater for not convincing the electorate that they actually want conservatism. And that's on the, you know, the Republican pl- primary voters for not nominating somebody closer to Ike than Goldwater, right? Like, it's like it, it kind of goes both ways. Yeah, and, you know, to give you an idea of how... I, I honestly do think he was a pretty true centrist because to give you an idea of how to the center he was, the Democrats... Both parties, yeah, at, yeah. Yep, Democrats <laughs> looked at running him. Yeah. So that, that should tell you that he's, he's honestly a centrist, but I, I don't know. I really, I really, at this point, the only, the only time I understand... I, I'll get mad at the GOP, too, I understand conservatives getting mad at the GOP when they side with Democrats on spending, when they don't reduce spending, when they when they increase the scope of government in certain areas, only because not because they say they're a conservative party, but because they constantly champion the broader GOP, not just specific candidates, the broader GOP constantly champions being the party of limited government. And the actions they frequently take are not of a party of limited government and by being just limited government doesn't make you a conservative there's there's tons of political philosophies that make you you know limited government right um but again that's a crossover that the gop has with a lot of conservatives so that's why i understand when the when the conservative movement gets angry at the gop i think justifiably when they when they take bigger government actions the issue is that the people are so naive that they think that just because that's in the party's platform or just because that's in the party's message messaging that the party actually believes that way they don't one of the reasons the GOP says they're the party of limited government, I'm convinced, is is simply so they can they can drag over more conservative voters because of that coalition that you mentioned. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that there's a, a difference in kind in a lot of these conversations as well. You know, like and it, it kind of drives me crazy that a lot of Republicans, a lot of conservatives throw the, the, the term rhino around all the time. Yeah, we got to vote out the rhinos. A rhino is my current governor, outgoing governor, John Kasich. John Kasich is a rhino, right? Like, he's, he's a guy that pretended to be a conservative most of his career, you know, started hearing uh, Hail to the Chief anytime he fell asleep at night and decided he wanted, to be, wanted more power, wanted to be president, <laughs> and then just totally abandoned any semblance of conservatism that he ever had. And, you know, who knows at that point if he was even a conservative ever if he had any conservative values if he was just saying what he needed to say to get elected who knows i don't know i don't i don't know him personally so i can't speak to that there's a difference between a true rhino like john Kasich and then like rick scott in florida 
And I know a lot of people that, that just they were so turned off by Rick Scott because he signed that bill that made it through a Republican state legislature that raised the age of buying assault rifles to 21 instead of 18, for instance, which I disagree with that. I think he folded. I think Rick Scott caved in the face of all the, the backlash from the, the uh, 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 Stoneman Douglas shooting. I, I think he pushed out there. I think he should not have signed that bill because I think that is clearly infringing on uh, in adults an adult taxpayer's right to own whatever firearm they want, and he shouldn't have done it. And a lot of people like didn't didn't vote for Rick Scott in Florida because they thought he was a squish establishment weak Republican. Like, okay, well he's running against an incumbent Democratic senator that's in favor of gun confiscation. <laughs> so like, really, like you're not gonna vote for Rick Scott? You're, you're gonna you're gonna sit it out and let uh let Bill Nelson get reelected? Thank God Bill Nelson was not reelected and and Scott will be a senator. I think he'll be a good senator, but. Like that, like that's when it just goes too far. That's when standing on your principles goes too far. <laughs> like I know that sounds no, terrible. And... I know that sounds ridiculous. Like we're supposed to stand on our principles, and I believe I do that on this show, and I, I believe you do on your show as well. But like, there's a difference between a true rhino like John Kasich, who is vetoing stand your ground legislation in Ohio, and he's vetoing the heartbeat bill, which passed. Uh, with with huge support through both houses of, of the state legislature. That's a rhino. Rick Scott's not a rhino. He may have made a mistake. He may have gone soft in a split second on one issue, but that does not make him a rhino. And I, yep. I, just painting with this broad of a brush that a lot of conservatives are doing, I think it's just counterproductive. I agree. And, you know, that that's the thing. Like, I understood being a never-Trumper during the general. Never-Trumpers now are just— in my opinion, in my humble opinion, are overreacting. Trump does a lot of bad things, but never being never Trump was about not wanting him to be your president. But now that he is your president, the, the never Trump movement should be dead. Um, so when I talk about never Trump, I'm not talking about the Tom Nichols never Trumpers. And Tom Nichols is a nice guy, but I do not agree with him hardly on a lick of political analysis. But I can understand being a never Trumper during the general. Because Trump genuinely seemed as if he was just a guy that was going to say whatever he needed to say, like Kasich, um, except just more compelling. Whatever He was going to say whatever he needed to say to get any, anyone and everyone to vote for him. He, see, he wasn't a conservative guy. You can say that he also didn't align with your moral standards, with, which he didn't with me. You know, I, I, I regret it every single day. I regret every single day that I support him, and I thank God that I couldn't have voted yet because that was the worst of election for first-time voters. But was, How young was, are you? I, I was a supporter of McMullen, um, and now he's annoying, and he's a pretentious a-hole, so I can't stand McMullen anymore. Mc, but I understand being a never-Trumper because for the same reasons I understand not disliking John Kasich. But it, I, I do see that there is a lot of unforgiving nature in the conservative movement when it comes to senators making one mistake, when it comes to you know governors, legis legislatures of any kind making a single mistake, making a single flub with policy, or sometimes, sometimes when that conservative leg legislature has a legitimate philosophical difference than his overall ideology and and votes on a specific piece of legislation a different way than you, you would like. You know, there's a lot of, of lack of forgiveness within the conservative movement. I do think it's detrimental and it's toxic because you don't, the, the worst thing to do in politics and the worst thing to do if you want politicians to pander to you and not just pander to you but vote your way is to seem petty. And that's what I've been getting from a lot of the conservative movement. You have every right to be angry. And you have every right to be like, like you just said, you pushed out, you, you wished out. That's a terrible decision. What the fuck? But you have no, you, I mean, you have a right to do it, but you shouldn't. It's not smart 
to vote against a conservative in, and and let the socialist win when that when the guy is legitimately a conservative and makes one policy flub and makes one policy mistake. You know what I mean? So I I I, I just I think there are times when it's not unprincipled to vote for someone who who went against you on a certain policy if it was only one time or a few times or a mistake. You know what I mean? I I just I I feel like conservatives sometimes expect their legislatures to be perfect when they're not perfect. It's politics. Right. And I've I've worked on campaigns before. I don't know if you ever uh, worked on a campaign, Eric, or, or just been around a little bit. I've canvassed. And it's a you know I've I've worked I worked on a mayoral campaign in my hometown um, last year. A conservative guy, a Republican, who's just a, a good guy and a good friend of mine. And it, it's just, it, especially if you're looking at like a, a mayoral campaign or a congressional campaign, you know, where a lot of the issues are local, like you can't just be an ideologue. You can't. Because like your constituents are, okay, w- what about this specific issue that affects our city, that affects yep. this district? And like you have to make compromises. You have to. Like, or you're, like, one, you're never going to get elected, and you're going to let somebody else who's way worse get elected, like you said, like, like a socialist get elected because a, a conservative isn't a perfect conservative. It's just being in elected, elected office is all about making compromises. And do I wish that the GOP would make a few less compromises? Of course. Am I ever going to support, like, a big spending bill, a big omnibus bill, om, omnibus bill? Of course not. Of course not. I would never be okay with, with blowing up the debt increasing the deficit the deficit like these things are abhorrent to me but I, I i just i don't know like what are we looking forward to in the next two years when we're looking at what candidates to support from the local congressional you know statewide and and presidential level like what do we actually do to convince the republican base to vote for more conservatives because that's what it's all about it's not about changing kevin mccarthy into william f buckley because that's not who Kevin McCarthy is. Like, Kevin McCarthy's not going to become Jim Jordan, no matter how hard we try. So, like, how do we convince Republican voters that what they really want isn't populism, isn't nationalism, is is conservatism? Like, how, how like what do we do? Like, what's the first step to convincing? You know, like, look, Republicans are 50% of the electorate. Democrats are 50% of the electorate, more or less. Obviously, I'm rounding up. They're both in the high 40s. But, you know— the hardcore socialist wing of the Democratic Party, that's 10% of their caucus. And the hardcore conservative uh, part of the Republican Party, that, like guys like you and I, are 10% of our caucus. How do we expand that? Like, what, What's the first step into expanding that into a majority of the Republican caucus? It's difficult. It really is. Because, I mean, it's it's listen, it's it's not something that's going to happen in this next general. You no, know. no, no, no. I know. We're, I'm just talking big picture. We're, we're in a populist <laughs> age of the GOP. But big right, picture? right. And also, really quick, this is why this isn't at you or anything. This is like at the people who expect the politicians to be the people who convince others of conservatism. They don't have the time. Right. Like they can go on it and do news interviews and speak on the debate stage, but you only have like two minutes per answer. You're not able to give a, a totally nuanced answer. Right. Um. But when it comes to convincing people overall, it's difficult. I've not been around in politics long enough, so my answer can fluctuate here. But my personal belief is you do need to get a stronger foothold in the culture. Not only do you need to get a stronger foothold in the culture, but we need to start doing stuff in Hollywood. We do. Um, one of the best ways to convince people of things is is inadvertently through TV. Not inadvertently, but kind of uh, – um, I, I don't know what the word Subconsciously, is Subconsciously? Subconsciously, that's it. Subconsciously through TV and, and through movie messaging. That's how the left did it for a really long time. You need – 
You need to start doing more projects in Hollywood. You need to start having bigger cultural figures who are conservative. You need to start having a conservative buildup in that Hollywood industry. You know what I mean? Because that, the reason why, why conservatives have also been shut out so much is y you just don't have any right-wingers in Hollywood who can help other right-wingers out. It's rare. Right. So that's one way you, you need to start retaking the culture. Not only do you need to st start retaking the culture. Now, this is really broad stuff. I don't really know a lot of the specifics we need to do to do it. I'm open to suggestions. But one of the other things we need to do is start retaking education right. because the issue is the left has used their position as educators not just to you know maybe teach more about left-wing philosophy but to directly indoctrinate. That is an issue. Right. We need to start getting more right-wing right-wingers and more conservatives in those positions. And by the way, I think indoctrination from either side for, through a teaching position is wrong because you're essentially manipulating someone through, through authority. It's not just a subconscious su suggestion. You are directly – manipulating them. I think it's wrong. I think what conservative te teachers need to do, though, when they start getting in there, and even moderate teachers, when they start getting in there, is teaching both sides. Either they teach both sides, or if they're in a subject like math, keep it out of it. Keep politics out of it. That's what conservatives need to start doing, and we need to start getting more of a foothold in those industries. Um, when it comes to politics, I, I hate to say it, because the conservatives have had some amazing thought leaders. Uh, I, th I don't think there was a, a, any time where... You, you saw actually more genuine conservatives in the GOP than during Reagan's time. Right. And one of the reasons was that was that was the golden age of conservative comment commentators. Thomas Sowell. More traditional. Thomas Sowell, yep. Bill Buckley, Charles Krauthammer, God rest his soul. Yep. Some of them too traditional for my taste, but the, the golden age of conservative commentating. Right. You need to get some of those amazing people out there again. Not the people – and listen, Shapiro is one of those amazing commentators that we can really utilize, but not in the sense that – we post videos on YouTube where we go, Ben Shapiro owns college student, but getting right, people to right, actually right. listen to the arguments that he makes. You're you're uh, absolutely right. And and on the thought leader point, and, and I've said this on the podcast before, but like one thing that people like, I'm, I think I'm 10 years older than you. I turned 30 in a couple months. I'm an old man. I know I know you're really young, but I I still say that <laughs> like the only quote unquote thought leader in the conservative movement that I actually consider a thought leader under the age of 50 is Ben Shapiro. And I think he's about 35, yep. something like that. And, uh, you know, whatever, mid-30s, whoever old he is, I don't know. But, you know, the the actual thought leaders in the conservative movement are still Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell's 90, okay? But, like, I mm -hmm. consider him, like, the greatest thought leader maybe ever in the conservative movement. I mean, William F. Buckley, you know, would say, hold my beer. But, uh, you know, Thomas, guys like Thomas <laughs> Sowell. And then, you know, other people like Jonah Goldberg at National Review. He's in his 50s. You know, like, all, all these people, they're... Be conservatives, especially young conservatives, be careful with who you elevate to the level of thought leader. It's not exactly. gonna, it's not gonna be I, I turned thirty in a couple months. I am at least twenty years away from being a thought leader because I haven't had the time to read every Thomas Paine book available. I haven't had time to read everything Murray Rothbard ever wrote. I haven't had the time to read everything Thomas Sowell's ever wrote. I'm working on it. I'm working my ass off, guys. But I'm not there yet. You know, Eric Schaefer is not there yet. He's, you know, 17 years old or whatever. <laughs> but, Says you. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that that's the thing. Like, pay attention to who you really uh, – listen to all the commentators. But take what all of us say as a with a grain of salt. I mean – the the people that I I take as gospel is one gospel and then two guys like Thomas Sowell who've been researching this shit for ninety years for a long time you know what I mean like it takes a long time to become a thought leader 
and actually deserve that title, you know? Yep. And, and like you said, and, and another, another point on, you said, and I totally agree and I hadn't thought of this yet, but I, I completely agree with what you just said that the eighties were kind of like the, the golden era of conservative commentary. And obviously Ronald Reagan was a great president. In my opinion, he belongs on Mount Rushmore. I mean, he, you know, he defeated communism without firing a single bullet. That alone should put you on Mount Rushmore. But the conservative commentators at the time hammered Reagan anytime he did something that, that wasn't conservative. Charles Krauthammer, I mean, look up some Krauthammer videos from the 80s, man. Some William F. Buckley videos from the 80s. Like, they they took, uh, they, they, they opposed a lot of Reagan's initiatives. I mean, they did it respectfully. They didn't do it like the never-Trumpers like Bill Kristol do now. Who, they basically just advocate for you know, communism because they don't like Trump. I mean, that's awful. Like, yeah. that's that's not, I mean, that's that's just a bridge too far. But, you know, the thought leaders back then did oppose Reagan when he would stray from the conservative path. And at least the, the people that I respect, you know, Ben Shapiro does. I, I got to give him credit. He does oppose Trump when, uh, when he does something wrong. But a, a lot of the conservative thought leaders kind of don't do that right now. No, I agree. And th- that's the thing is, like, St- Stephen Crowder, a lot of people like to point to Crowder, a lot of young people... Well, I'm sorry. He's not a thought leader. He's a funny guy. He, he makes some good points. Well, he's not but a he's, leader. He doesn't claim to be. Like he's like, dude, I'm a comedian. No, no, like, and I'm not. Yeah. I'm not bashing Crowder. Yeah, I'm yeah. just saying the people who point to him. Right. It's, I don't yeah, know yeah, why yeah. you're pointing to him. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Milo's not really a thought leader. I it's sad oh, to say okay. Milo oh, God, was no. at one Ooh. time a thought leader. Milo is not a thought leader on the right anymore. I, so Ben Shapiro, I really do think, in terms of the people who are under 50, is one of the only legitimate thought leaders. And Thomas Sowell, God love him. He doesn't do that much anymore, which is understandable since he's 90. But he's 90. even though he's not doing as much as he used to, he's still publishing books. So, I mean, when he dies, we're going to lose really a huge a huge figure. Right. And, and Crowdhammer was a big loss, too. Charles Crowdhammer was a big loss last year. I was so sad when he died. Yeah. Um, but, by the way, I'm 20. Brady. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I'm not 17. But I, I don't know. I, I really... People, smart, intelligent people have to rise up. And the other thing is something that makes thought leaders. Whoa, shit. <laughs> my dog just fucking darted at me. Oh, my, oh my God. God. That scared the shit out of me. My <laughs> Only on the No Gimmicks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but well, I'm sorry, Brady. No, you are good, man. What I was going to say is what I was going to say is. We need intelligent people to start rising up, and not only do we need intelligent people to rise up, one of the th- criticisms I always have for Shapiro is that he's intelligent, he's very smart, but he's sometimes too smart for his own good in the sense that he likes to think that he has everything figured out, and he doesn't. I don't. I'm not going to – no one under – no human alive has ever had it all figured out. I'm I'm sorry. There may be there are cultures that are better than others. There are thought processes that are better than others. But there aren't people. There's no one that has everything always figured out. And I feel like Shapiro, you know, he'll claim otherwise. But when you hear him talk about certain things, he acts like he does. That's the issue that I find. And a lot of young people, a lot of the young people we've elevated to be thought leaders, like to think that too. They like to act like they have it all figured out. The only people who have some justification to act like that are Thomas Sowell. And honestly, Thomas Sowell, one of the things that has made him so endearing is he doesn't he never acts like he has it all figured out he has right. theories he's amazing at debating but he never says i know this and i can't be wrong and he never lets off that aura he never has that aura about him so we need people who are not only intelligent 
because that's only one part of a thought leader. You also need to be endearing. And one way to be endearing is by admitting you can be wrong, you're not perfect, and you don't have it all figured out. And I think Shapiro did take a really good step in that direction when he published that article that said, here's all, all the things that I've ever gotten wrong. Right, but he that still was, that has that brilliant. aura about him a lot of the time. So, And that, that comes with youthful inexperience. Speaking from a youth, you know, coming <laughs> from a youth, that comes with youthful inexperience. Um, but we need people to be modest and we need people, but we also need people who are willing to fight and we need people who are genuinely loyal to the ideological convictions that they claim to hold. Right. And we got to wrap up here in a second. We're way over time, but, uh, and I know I got to let you go, but, um, yeah, just, just to summarize kind of what we've been talking about for the last nearly an hour, like to, to my fellow conservative, I know I have people from all across the political spectrum who listen to the show, but to speaking just to the conservatives and libertarians, please, like I said at the beginning of this conversation, you have to remember that the people that actually identify as a hardcore conservative, like I do, like Eric does, that that is a very small percentage, not only of, of America, but of the Republican electorate. It is a very small percentage. And I, I can't, I don't know, 10, 20 percent of Republicans are actual true red small government conservatives. So we can't be surprised when the people that we elect don't behave like like Rand Paul. You know, like it, it's it, we have to figure out how to how to manage that. And, and like we've been discussing for the last hour, it starts with us. It starts with education. It starts with pointing people in the right direction, you know, and, and, and pointing people towards the right kind of commentators and pundits as well. I do have to push back on, on how you answered my last question, Eric, on how you know the the best uh, the best way to to educate people on and why they really want to elect conservatives. I, my answer would be everybody must subscribe to the No Gimmicks podcast and the Lone Conservative podcast <laughs> on iTunes, SoundCloud, and yes, if you're just a schmuck, Google Play. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, where can everybody listen to your show? Even though I think I already told them, but uh, where can everybody find you online and keep in touch with you and all that good stuff? So we're also on Stitcher now, which is awesome. Um, but if if you go and listen to us if on you're iTunes, just a low life who still uses Stitcher, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Um, if, if you go listen to us on iTunes, please leave a five star review. A lot of people don't realize that like actually leaving good reviews helps helps us in terms of how frequently we show up in other people's feeds. So that that is helpful. The same thing with SoundCloud. If you go to listen to us on SoundCloud, please be sure to follow us there and like the track, uh, like the tracks that we post. Because again, I don't know. It, I've heard from people, so I'm going to take it as gospel that <laughs> that helps us show up in other people's feeds that helps us become recommended to people. So iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, you can find us in all those apps. And the lone conservative, we really hope that you you give us a listen. Do it. And I've recommended the show on the podcast before. It's really great. Everybody subscribe to that as well. And to piggyback on what Eric just said, I'm pretty sure like one twentieth of people that have subscribed to the show on iTunes have actually given us a review and a rating. <laughs> so guys, like get on it. Like it literally takes five seconds. Like I really don't know you know, what your guys' deal is. But, yeah, please get on that. Everybody follow Eric on Twitter at RealEricSchafer. He's great. Subscribe to his show. Um, I am Brady Leonard. I will be back on Wednesday from Myrtle Beach. No gimmicks. (laughs) 